Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers, and from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. All right, so we have a guest in the studio. I'm horrible at introductions, so I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. What's up? I am Jocelyn. Good to see you, Danny. Just Jocelyn? Like, just Jocelyn. Jocelyn like, Shultra. Oh, I, the la- I just, it's my oof, last you name. You gave it's- last names. I wasn't thinking last names. I was just thinking like you would say you're, you know, <laughs> but you're just like, um, what's one, lab- one name rapper person? Um, Beyonce. I'm Beyonce. There you go. You're just, just Jocelyn. Just, or or Jocelyn. But you're bossy. a little bit more than that. Um, thank you for showing up. We just happened, I happened to see you were in town. And you were just literally right around the corner. Just around the corner. And I was like, hey, you want to come in and get on the podcast? And you were like, absolutely. So I really appreciate that. Just a little background on what this is. a Cannabis karaoke to me is this industry is a, a lot of bad singing, like karaoke is. And so I'm a bad singer in this space. I'm learning. I'm getting beat up every day. It's a really hard industry. And so I, you've been on fire. You've been definitely... How would you say advocate? What's the word that you would give yourself? Yeah, advocate, I suppose. Yeah. What I'm what not, makes I'm not you there. why why cuz we met a little over maybe a year ago? I've been in the industry for a year this month. But you seem so natural at it. Well, you know, I'm a passionate enthusiast for many, many years. Um, but I guess to answer your question, um, I feel like I can contribute a lot because I spent 10 years working in ad tech and I just really have this like natural knack for kind of business and operational efficiency, but I'm also like kind of a hippie at heart. And so I merged like the corporate world with this just like creative, free spirited person. And so I think that lends itself really well to cannabis. And so I'd like to think that I'm bringing a lot of like professionalism here, but keeping the cannabis culture as, as we all want it to stay for any of us true enthusiasts. Just recently, you did a little tour through the Bay Area with one of your coworkers, and I saw that you were in Oakland. Um, What were you doing there? What was that all about? So I got involved with the social equity program in Oakland, and so that is through the Alliance and Make Green Go. And what they're doing is providing technical assistance to social equity applicants. So this is primarily, um, you know, manufacturers, cultivators, distributors, and retailers. And just for some context on social equity, though I think it's pretty common for most people to understand this program today, but just for further context, um, so women and minorities have been most affected by cannabis infractions, and it's harder harder for them to raise money, right? It's like and just, hard to get licenses and, exactly. and just overall. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So to start a business today, if you're going to start a retail shop, I mean, I think they're saying you need anywhere from like half a million and upwards of $3 million just to go through the entire licensing process and be compliant. So it's very capital upfront intensive and therefore that's a lot harder for women and minorities to raise capital. So it really then kind of cuts them out of you know, being able to compete. And so we then don't have a level playing field. So I believe it's really important in California to make sure that we have diversity and diversity within businesses, diversity within business owners. And so the initiative of the social equity program is to give support and resources to all of these applicants so that they can compete on this level playing field with the rest of the corporations that are able to, to be and that's, successful. That is... I know Oakland's a big proponent of that. I know LA is having some things. The next batch of licenses are going to be social equity-based licenses, correct? That's right. Yeah. Oakland was the first program in California to get off the ground. So all these other cities are sort of looking at Oakland to see you know, how they're modeling the program and how a, it's working. There is a dispensary in Oakland, I think Eco Cannabis. Eco, right, right. Um, that guy's a really cool dude. I've talked to Andre, him a few times. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, and I think they've committed to a certain percentage of their shop being social equity brands. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's a lot what of What a new concept. Imagine if we did every industry like that to help level the playing field. Most people would say that's socialistic maybe or socialism at work in business because capitalism is, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, regardless of your race or your gender, you have, you know, there is no unfair advantage in most people's eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say? I I suppose. In business, like most Mm -hmm. people don't really, they're not trying to help each other out. They're usually trying to see how much money they can make. I mean, the same thing is still happening within social equity, right? There's always loopholes. And this is the, one of like the most interesting learnings only being a year into the industry. 
there's always loopholes, right? So like with social equity, in general, applicants can pair up with social equity applicants. So in Oakland specifically, they have this 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 part of the program in which they say a general applicant can give the social equity applicant 1,000 square feet of space, and then they can team up together. So then the general applicant gets, you know, the... the there's never going to be a sunset on that, right? There's never going to be... Like someone can't trick somebody into a social equity play with them and then well, they partner, remove them, right? I could, mean, yes, of course. That oh, wow. always happens in business. So, you know. But isn't there some requirement on that license that they would have to? Yeah, exactly. Like there are certain requirements, you know. So I don't know how, you know, kicking them out entirely, I don't know. But I just, there's always loopholes. Sure. I mean, and you know, in the cannabis industry, there's always ways to get but around things. So you've, I know you say that you've only been in a year, but you've been a cannabis user, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, life. it's, you know, kind of part of my family DNA, grew up around it. Um, I've been a consumer myself for I mean, started in high school on and off throughout my whole life, but I'd say um, for the last 10 years, much, much bigger part of my life. Um, It was a daily part of my life for probably five years. And then like six months ago, I was just like, I don't know, like I was getting kind of like a little cloudy and like mentally foggy. And I just noticed I was like slurred speech. Like I like flour. And so, um, flowers getting potent. <laughs> I, so. I was, I was just at a few shops and there was like 32% THC strains. Never I bought one of them. That. Did you, what do you, which, uh, do you remember what you got? Uh, I, I don't remember. Hmm. Um, from, uh, actually a local, uh, Santa Cruz, um, Santa Cruz, uh, uh I just posted about it. I'll, I'll, you can I'll look, look it in up a second. After. Um, but we anyways, got some good weed in Santa Cruz. Oh, absolutely. Coastal Sun Farms. Yeah. I've got some of their stuff, so I'm excited to try that. But um, yeah, so I decided like six months ago, I was like, okay, well, now I'm going to like cut back and just consume primarily when it comes to like creative pursuits. So I like to jam and then play like anytime I want to get into a creative space. But I've really tried to like cut back from just like, you know, after work and then just smoking all night long. Right. So when you were in the ad tech space, I f- well, so you... Every time I run into you and every time we have an event together or whatever, you're definitely full of energy and stoked, super, I don't want to offend you, type A, passion, like go, go, go. Did you feel like after like being in the ad tech space and then coming into cannabis, what made you, that's a big step, right? Like every, at least when I came into the cannabis space and changed the ever LinkedIn profile to what I was doing. I got instant messaged and like people saying, what are you doing? You're blowing it. You're never going to get a job again in the normal space. Did you have any of those concerns when you left your job to come into cannabis? <laughs> no, but so many people were like, aren't you concerned? And I'm like, huh? Like, um, I just like I'm that kind of person. I don't really, I just like decide I'm going to do something and then I just do it. So how I got into cannabis. Um, so earlier, so like a year plus ago, I just, I, I don't know. I'd been in tech for 10 years and I was just like bored quite honestly, I wasn't really learning. No challenge. Yeah. And having been like, you know, this, uh, anyone who knew me in tech, you, I kind of had a little reputation. Like I was, I always was the one bringing weed to the party. (laughs) Always. And I always had a pen on me. So just everyone kind of knew. So it wasn't like a surprise that I got into this by any means. And I was very involved in the tech world as well. So like people knew that that's what I was doing. So I just never thought like, oh no, it's going to affect my career in any way, like negatively. Um, but so for me, I decided to take four months off after leaving tech and I just did all of these things to just kind of figure out who I was. And then, um, I had met the founder of our company a couple years ago through a, a connection in tech and, um, always, I like really respected Leafly. So like a headset was started by the founders of Leafly and, um, you know, being like this long time enthusiast, that was the first way you could understand what a strain was like and what a high was like. So I just really respected what they did and being in the tech world, like, you know, I liked the user interface and the whole experience. So I just followed along the headset journey and then, um, you know, we just waited for the right time and they were ready to launch California. And so then I just like the stars had just all aligned for me to get into this industry, but I also wanted it. I was conscious that I wanted it. And then it just kind of like, I put it out there and it just happened. Like, but you went from ad tech to data. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Cause that's like usually two different sets of people. Uh, yeah, but I came from the mobile world. So I started okay. working in mobile the year of the iPhone. And so it was the same trajectory, like really high growth, new industry. So there was, there's so many parallels between it and, and tech. So it's the same type of, I think the same kind of type of person, like a bit of a risk taker, um, someone who likes like new industries, emerging industries. So it just sort of was a natural. 
What's that? It's a bit entrepreneurial, even mm-hmm. though you're necessarily not working just for yourself. I feel that in the space a lot that yes. what we get to do and what we get to pioneer, um, you know, is definitely on the entrepreneurial because there's a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I had my own company before I started an app when, you know, during that 10 year period. And so, yeah, it feels very much the same. It's just not my company, but it, it's the same. But you still have the same, same passion for it. And yes. I think that would goes for most of the people that I've interacted with at Headset are very passionate about, you know, data is a dirty word in cannabis. <laughs> Two dirty words in cannabis are science and data. Why is that? You <laughs> Don't think? I know. Because it's scary. Well, because look at what's look at the conversation just in our society today with Facebook and Google. And so we already have this perception around it just in fear of it just because of that. But then when you add in like cannabis, something that's like federally illegal and still very stigmatized, it's just not an easy conversation to have. Um, But, you know, it's so important because it data helps like it literally shapes the future of your business. Like with cannabis, it's like if you don't know what people are buying and who is buying. How do you know what products to make? A lot of uh, entrepreneurs or a lot of cultivators and manufacturers, they're making products based off gut decisions. Right. I like this strain. I like this tincture, whatever it may be. And it's like, that is great. But to run an effective business, you have to understand what's happening in the market and who the consumer is. And so that's what we're providing. We're providing them this knowledge. And so, yeah, data is scary, but it's it's not. It's here to, to. It's scary if you're not looking at it because you won't be around. Well, it's scary if you're in denial. Yes, I think that's why people are like less apt to embrace data because people do want to have. I don't want to say that guru approach to what they buy for their customers, but they think they know what their customers want, and that's not. You know, that's not uncommon with entrepreneurs and small retail, which is what mostly cannabis spaces are. Most of these. Um, stores are are run by mom and pops, and more and more stores are being, you know, co- conglomerated, and you get bigger MSOs or whatever coming in the space, multi state operators. Uh, but they just think they know better, and a lot of ego. You just, I, I guess, ego, but maybe just thinking that they're smarter than the intelligence. I think people are always surprised at you know when they look at their data and go, oh my gosh, uh, we sold more edibles this month than we actually sold this brand. Because we are still in the beginning stages of the branding component of these um, companies. Talk a little bit about, well, I don't want to go too far into data, but I do want to talk a little bit more about branding and data f- to support brands' decisions on what to do. And then I want to talk a little bit more about your improv stuff and some of the stuff that you do for fun. And then get back to a little bit of the advocacy and how we or how the listeners can help support that. So talk a little bit about how brands, the you know, it's evident with Headset on, you know, the data business intelligence tool, why it benefits a dispensary, but how is it, how is it helping the brands? And I know there's some obvious answers, but I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Well, let me take a step back and explain how we get the data because that's what the brands are wanting. So how we get the data is by hooking in with point of sale systems within dispensaries. So we're aggregating all of this data, we're anomalizing it, and then we're reporting on these market level trends. So we can see in real time what people are buying and oftentimes who's buying if there's a loyalty program associated with that that dispensary. So the brand, so anyone in the industry, like the, but specifically brands are wanting to know what is the category breakdown look like? So what's happening in California? So for example, uh, right now, flour is making up like thir- uh, mid 30 percentage. Sure. The vape market is almost on par with that. And so when we know that, and then when we can look and see how many brands are in market. So if there's almost, which there is, there's almost 300 uh, distinct flower brands in California. So how do you then compete with 300 other brands when you don't have uh, cannabis companies can't advertise like normal consumer packaged goods companies can, right? Like you can't use any digital media. Um, you can, but very limited. You can't use Facebook or Instagram sure. or Google. So they have to build these brands and then compete with 600 or 300 other distinct companies and try to, you know, figure out how they're going to get shelf space essentially. So what the data that we're providing and, and how we help the brands is just by helping them understand that landscape. Who are the top brands? Who are their competitors? How many new products are coming onto market, you know, in a daily, monthly, weekly, whatever basis? It is a hard connective tissue between the brand and the customer and the dispensary. One of the rare ways that you can advertise is Cannabis Club TV does tell that story, but we work directly with Headset as well um, to drive menu boards and just to really solve 
that educational issue inside the dispensary, do you ever see like the headset data being forward facing to consumers, like where consumers are going to start looking at that stuff or, or are you primarily still just B2B in that space? Well, it, we're B2B, but we produce a lot of reports based off of all that data. So we'll do like really interesting analysis that it consumers are definitely interested in. I post a lot on like social media and sharing a lot of these like data points. And most of the people that are hitting me up are not in the industry. And they're sure. like, oh my God, this is so interesting. So reporting on trends like, well, what are women consuming versus, versus men? Um, how are, you know, senior citizens? What, because that, that's a fast growing market. So how are senior citizens consuming? And so looking at a lot of these demographics and these different groups and their patterns, I think is interesting for anyone, whether you're in the industry or not. I think it is a rare chance to be in something that's so volatile. I mean, I just from our side of the business, we look at there's probably a, better than a half a dozen market pressures that exist specifically to cannabis, from packaging regulations, testing regulations, commodity availability or overabundance, uh, pricing being set by competitive brands, you know, what is a consumer, what category are the, you could go, oh man, I'm going to produce all this tincture because last quarter I did really good and then like be stuck with it. Like, and then there really is no shelf appeal yet. There is no, there's a few brands that are, that are kind of bubbling up to the top, but for the most part, there's still a lot of fighting to be done amongst these brands for consumer eyeballs. And most of the consumers that walk into the dispensary are completely devoid of high times cup, uh, Wiz Khalifa's Instagram or, you know, going in to a specific reggae event or something that they're going to have to participate. These are what I would consider normal everyday people walking into a dispensary. And that data that you're getting off of that normal everyday person exists outside of the weed head that we know already. You know, it reminds me of the surf industry a little bit, like, you know, surfers versus non-surfers. Non-surfers were still customers, but they just didn't drink the Kool-Aid that the surfers mm -hmm. did. Um, not too long ago, you were you took uh, you were in a what would you call it exactly? In, it was, my improv. Improv, my but improv. there was a what was the name of the show that you guys did? Oh, we just well we did a little show at End Games in San Francisco. Nice, but you did that over a couple week period, right? So I did this seven week course. Um, so I've been doing a lot more public speaking for work, and I did that in in my last industry as well, but. Uh, I take the information that I'm trying to educate the market on very, very seriously. And so that's, I realize a lot of it comes through the presentation of it, because as you said, data is a scary word. So I have to make it sound really cool and interesting, which it is. Um, <laughs> I but, love data, by the way. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, but I wanted to get improve within my public speaking um, skills. And so I was like, well, improv seems like that would be a good way to do that. And so, and this mostly comes because um, a lot of feedback that I was getting when I would do these presentations are, is like, you need to smile more. And so, or your, your personality when you're on stage doesn't match when I meet you. And it is kind of true, but the thing is, I'm talking about data. It's a very serious subject, and there's very little room for like. Uh, I have to I have to report it very factually. And yeah, so, but did I? You know, having there is a uh, an awareness that something like an improv transaction would help you have, so that you can be aware. Of, like, am I smiling? Mm -hmm. Is my posture good? Am I making eye contact? Have I said um four hundred times? <laughs> like, those are all things right. that people forget about when they go to like, I know a lot of people that speak really well and go do things, but then they're sometimes their body language or other component, like you need coaching sometimes. Oh, absolutely. And, and being able to think on your feet, like that's a really, and paying attention. Okay. This is one of the most important lessons I learned in improv. <laughs> it, and this is kind of like a kick. I'm on this, like, I'm very into spirituality. And so, um, presence in particular, I think is a life changing concept. So with improv, you have to be present. You have to be listening to what the other person is saying because you're playing off each other. So if you are not there in the moment and like paying attention to that person, you've messed up the entire flow, the entire scene. So it trained my brain to really be in the moment. And so that affects then how I work with people, everyone I interact with, because I'm just here with you. Sure. And intent, so, right? Like exactly. You're doing it with intent. No. Improv is something, I mean, I never did, went through the improv process. I did radio for a number of years on a morning show, which was borderline improv because it was unscripted and just current events and zinging, you know, wing, wing, wing back and forth real quick. And if you got, you know, a text or, you know, you looked at anything or you checked out for a minute and something got sent to you, 
it's like hits you in the face and slides down the front of you. And then everyone's just kind of looking at you like, where were you right now? You know, <laughs> what right. was a, are you going to do that again? Or is that just a one-time episode for you? Um, I would like to do it again, but I have a lot of things I like to do and I really like acquiring new skills. And so I, I tend to try a lot of things and then, uh, go deep once I figure out what I like. So I enjoyed it. It pushed my boundaries for sure. Um, but I'm going to focus on some other hobbies for now. What, um, in the cannabis space in the year that you've been in, which probably feels like five years, Mm -hmm. I know how May just went by and I can't believe that May went by that fast. What's the biggest change you saw coming from when you stepped into the space and to where we're at now with regards to, you know, brands, product data, like how do you see things going? Like what are your thoughts on the, on the space? Um, a couple of like things come to mind when it comes to consumer and product trends, the growth of the vape market. I feel like I'm always talking about this, but, um, it's been surprising to me how quickly that's growing and, um, also non-inhalable formats, you know, that's not surprising, but tinctures, sublinguals, topicals, um, any of them, like probably medically, medical reasons, um, there's a lot of growth within those categories, but what's really interesting is that there's not a whole lot of competition yet. So let's look at tinctures, for example. Um, it's a, it's a very small percentage of the market, uh, over in overall sales. I think it's like under 5%, but the growth there is it's just happening at like significant rates. There's like 30 brands in California that are competing within that category. So that's a real area of opportunity and growth. Um, when we look at like the growth rates and some of those, even though it makes up a small percentage of sales overall. Would would you say that that category is specific to people that are more medicinally treating than than trying to get get high per se? That's that's an assumption I'm making, um, but it also depends on like I'm seeing a lot of tincture brands uh, start to educate consumers that you can use this as a droplet in a drink in a beer sure. if you want to Mocktails. consume socially, right? right? And so there's other ways now. Um, or reasons that people are going to want to consume a tincture. So yes, I think it primarily is probably medical reasons, but I think as we start looking at evolution within those products and how people are consuming them, it's, it will be, you know, recreational will be a significant, probably issue. a horrible example, but it's like the Red Bull, right? Like Red Bull started off as a mix and then became an energy drink on the back end. So I, I see the same thing with tinctures. Probably we just did some ads with, um, I think Humboldt Apothecary did if I, I may be wrong, I hope not, but, they did a mocktail um, where they were doing their tinctures and their mocktails. And I think, I think for me, I think I've been in this space a little bit longer, but really explosive growth in the last year, specific to California. I, I too am surprised at the categories and how they elevate themselves and new things. I mean, there's literally, I mean, I, don't, I couldn't rattle off on top of my head, but there's got to be over 50 different categories of product that there's, is available. There's a, 11 in California. So 11 different products. <clears throat> yeah, like categories, at least as we define them. So flower, pre-roll, beverage, capsule, tincture, topical, um, vape, edible. Right. So like maybe top, but then you start getting. But then there's segments within yeah, those categories. Yeah, mixtures of exactly. CBD, THC driven yep. stuff. And then that almost divides everything in two. And then you have, at least for us, the non-endemic stuff, which is service-based businesses, lawyers, insurance agents, real estate agents that are all kind of, there's a, there's so many facets to this industry that, that the, the flower itself is like a kaleidoscope, but then you have all these other businesses around it. Um, even more important as to why data is kind of super important to tie in so that people can, because there's, otherwise you're just kind of grabbing in the air to try to figure out what you're going to be doing. Tell me some of the, um, you, I know, I already know that you're, if I was to ask the next question, which I'll, I'll ask after this one, like, what do you see as being potential hurdles for certain things within the space um, that maybe people are in denial of that the data is speaking to? Like, is it flower pricing that's going to get slammed here due to overabundance? Like, what is the data telling us that maybe people aren't paying attention to? Um... I think the probably the biggest thing that I see that people, I don't know if it's that they're not paying attention to, but kind of like we were talking about earlier, it's like a gut feeling like this is a really unique strain or I'm going to make, you know, flour because I, I just, I love flour. And it's like, that's 
great, but it's the most saturated of all the categories. So I just see people not having an understanding. They think there's something unique about it without understanding like what the actual market looks like. And that could be said for every category, but I think just because flower is like the largest category it has the most competition. Um, I'm still seeing a lot of, you know, cultivators, there's so much growth that's going to come from it. So I, I understand the perspective, but the data can actually like tell you what is really happening. So I guess my overall point, I just don't see people looking at it. They just don't understand that this information is available. Sure. Well, I mean like the category of tincture, if you want to get in the space, like it seems like there's not a lot of dilution there. And I I do believe that you are going to see a category like that shoot up. Um, Do you guys track, I'm sure you are, but like the, as we start to, to know more about CBD and CBG and CBN, Talk to me a little bit about what that is showing up on the data. Like, is the education component catching up fast enough with the product that's being released to help drive some of these categories that are coming out? Because if you know, like I know, like I every time I see Level or another brand that has got the CBG or the CBN out there, I'm like, I will take two, please, because A, they're hard to find, and B, they work. I mean, you want to talk about anti-anxiety or sleep or whatever, like, those are two really good components mm-hmm. as new verticals. And the terpenes. I mean, that's right, what okay, I think is like most like, ex- like that's, I think the buzziest thing right now or the thing I'm most interested in that I probably know least about, but I've been trying to educate myself. Um, I think it's terpenes. I'm really excited that the conversation is shifting away from just indica or sativa or a specific strain, because what really does matter is that at least as I'm finding, it really does come down to those terpenes or essentially the essential oils that are in cannabis. And when we're combining or when you're using different compounds within within these terpenes, it can have very, very different effects. And so when you can combine, I don't know how many different terpenes are, but there's like, you know, limonene and uh, linalool. I don't There's a lot, of, a lot them. of them. So when you combine different ones, it can have different effects and it can affect different people differently. So I'm excited that the conversation is shifting from an indica is going to make me really tired and sativa gives me energy when that's just not really the It's reality. not always the case. Right. Like for me, I mean, we had to experiment back in the day, like you're all – like you lock into a strain when you're younger, at least I did, where you're like, all right, I'm really fond of Gorilla Glue. That does well for me. I do great yard work. <laughs> you know, everything goes well. But for somebody else, it's not so much. Or I can't tell you how many times people say, this is fire, testing it, whatever. And then you smoke it, you're like, I don't, nothing really happened. I do believe it is terpene, 100% terpene related because your body takes in that that experience differently. Every person has a different experience. I know there's a couple companies out there that are trying to understand how to genetically map, um, you know, their, whatever people's cannabis choices to their DNA to best have that effect. Mm. I do feel like people are trying to cheat a little bit though, with the blending and the, we are getting a little far out there in addition to like, because you're gonna have some diehard people that are like strain and, and, and category, like it's gotta be an indica this, and that's how we're always going to speak to it. Then you have the total other side where it's like, relax, play, mm-hmm. um, creative, you know, and that works for people. For most people, that blend actually does work. So that's the beautiful thing about cannabis is there's something for everyone. And that's why it's like, that's why when we're looking at all these trends and like the category breakdowns, it's like the, we have to keep in mind, this isn't, this is new for a lot of people. It's so right? new. And so people are just curious and they want to try new things. And so I think ultimately what's going to happen is like, that's what's happening right now. People want to try new shit. And ultimately like they'll come back to whatever it is that they, they decide on, but they're going to try a bunch of different things and figure out what, what works for them. And that's what you have. That's the approach I think you have to have, especially when it comes to flour and testing different strains, arguably any product, especially for a, a medical reason. Like you, it's not a one size fits all. You have to try different things and see what works for you. No, absolutely. And I think in, in addition, I do believe that I look at uh, the cannabis space as kind of like a pH scale. You know, there's on one end, there's the science component, right? Where people, Marinol and different things that, that aren't necessarily that are, I don't want to say synthetic, but they're synthesized out of the plant that people like my family, my parents would probably be more comfortable being prescribed Marinol from a doctor versus going into a dispensary and getting a tincture or buying an edible or buying something that's a little more normal. So you do have that like weird, like not weird, just random outside subset of medicinal style stuff that's going to come out of big pharma. Right. And then you have the next subset of people, which are, I want to, I want to be relaxed. I want to be, they're not even 
connoisseurs per se. They just know that it works for them and they want to get a certain feeling out of it. And then the next batch, the biggest batch I feel are people that are going to be like, well, I'm going to try this and I'm going to try that and not be afraid of, you know, whatever's going to happen. I mean, definitely, thank goodness we're focusing on microdosing a little bit. I remember a couple years ago when you would take something like, oh, it's just 100 milligrams or whatever, and then you're just <laughs> off in the corner, you know, in your own little world because you ate a 100 milligram edible and you're just, sometimes you need to... Corova, what? You just need to be <laughs> chilling when you're doing that. You can couch lock galore on that one. Um, you go to a lot of shows. I go to a lot of shows pretty much every weekend. It's almost like being a rock star. That's what I got told by Durbin yesterday. He's like, you know, it's similar to being in 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 the rock industry or whatever and to being on tour because we literally are going from state to state to state, at least our businesses. And I know Headset operates in how many states? Mm-hmm. Um, so Washington. We're headquartered in Washington and Seattle. Seattle, right? Um, and so we're reporting, like we're providing the trends on California, Colorado, Washington, and Nevada, soon to be Canada. Um, but we'll we'll flip it on once we're at a certain penetration point within the dispensaries, then sure. we can turn that state on. So we're we're providing our software um, for the retail shops, the dispensaries. We provide that in any any state that's that's legalized. What? Um, how many shows do you go to in a month? Do you think? Like cannabis related related shows doesn't even um, have to be cannabis specific. It can just be cannabis related. I mean, so probably averaging like two a week, two meetups a week. It's wow. a lot of like networking and a lot of um, getting to know the community. And I I do two a week because I want to be involved in the community. So it's a lot of extra efforts, like the social equity stuff or. Um, you know, this, my own little meetup that I'm trying to get going. I just believe it's really important to connect the community to be sharing information because that's how we're going to mature the industry and keep the culture as And we can is. keep a lid on it, if you will, too, because fortunately, there's definitely subsets of people, but fortunately, it hasn't gotten corrupted yet. Like, we haven't manipulated it for pure greed. Well. Yeah, I feel like there's players <laughs> that are, there's people that are, but people like yourself who genuinely want to help educate people and genuinely can keep putting the word out there, I think... The more people that do that, the more soldiers we have in that space, the better we can combat That's people right. just trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. I mean, one person can make a difference. Uh, actually, in this space, I believe it, hundred percent, a hundred percent. And this week was such beautiful proof of that. Like uh, yesterday, you know, Oakland decriminalizing psilocybin and um, ethogenic plants. So basically, you know, magic mushrooms and peyote. It was all decriminalized in Oakland. A lot of these efforts came from there's like individuals that we can call out that helped move these initiatives forward. So one person really can make a difference in this industry. And so the more people we have that are fighting the good fight and bringing in like diverse skill sets, then the better we all are. And I, I feel that I can do that. And that's why I, I go to two events a week and just try to be involved. Do you have an event coming up? I, yeah, several events coming up. Um, and heads up, we're always putting on events like educational events because we're the only company that has access to this information in real time. There are other companies that can provide different types of data, but at the scale that we have, it's really incredible what we're doing. And so I'm just really passionate about sharing that information. So we put on a lot of events to educate the community, and then we sponsor a lot of events um, all around California. So yeah, lots of, I mean, basically every every big cannabis event, like you'll see me at or someone from our team at, but um, yeah, this month, like UCBA down in LA will be at, you know, their policy summit and some of the smaller events like Grass Posts down there. Um, but we're, you know, putting on more and more events up in, in NorCal. Do you guys have anything online where people can find where you're at or they just follow you on social media? You know, yeah, social media, probably for the events, like uh, either our headset account or my account. Um, but we're, we, yeah, we should update our website and put some events on there. It's hard. I'll be honest with you. We, we have a weekly meeting here in our company, all hands, and we list all the events that we're aware of. And it's like, I mean, yeah. it's good because there are so many people that are trying to get involved and try to understand. But at the same time, it's, you know, like I did you, you we saw each other at Hall of Flowers, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that was that's a my favorite. crazy show. Oh, my gosh. I know. But who would have thought? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I went last year and it just it was crazy See, I seeing didn't. it, like how much bigger it was this year. I, mean, I was, it was at NCIA instead. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But I mean, you know better than anyone. It's like to be interacting with like especially all the dispensary owners, you have to be at these like events yeah. or meeting them in person because 
they're not answering their emails and, and phones. And so to get in touch with them, it's like, you really got to be involved in the community. And there's a lot of credibility that that they want to know that you're not just coming in from the outside and trying to capitalize on this, right? So you also have to build a lot of trust. Does that mean you got to, are you trying to say you got to smoke some weed with them? Well, <laughs> no, I'm not saying that, but <laughs> yes, please, I will. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I do believe, I have had people... You oh know, yeah, I, so I, many meetings are cannabis consuming meetings. I've had I've had meetings where I've literally looked at the person and gone, dude, would the, would my would so and so come and smoke a joint with you right now? Or <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I think there is that component too. I think we finally are at a place where what an awesome opportunity to to take a plant and as it's extending into other areas like Oakland's transaction, you know, legalizing mushrooms and, and the like, I really think we're on a movement here that, you know, it's been proven. If you look at other countries, right, you look at Italy and how they interact with wine and alcohol around children, and, and it's not a, a do as I say, you know, do as I say, not as I do, where it is in the States, right? We're this big, like, uh, celibacy component of, like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do this, don't do that, but then everybody that's telling you not to do it is doing it. Um, and we've been just gripped by big pharma, um, for the last, gosh, good 25, 30 years, I think, where we've really been inebriated with these commercials on TV around take this pill to help you when you take this pill, to take you when you help this pill. Go travel around other countries. First of all, you can walk into any pharmacy almost anywhere in the world and get what you need without having to have like a referral or some big deductible, number one. And number two, the the medicinal community in these other areas are not picking on, I feel like we've been picked apart by our medical system. And I think we've created a, long, a lot of our own ailments, um, both in the way we grow food and do everything else. Cannabis is just a, like this, I feel like this bulldozer of love that's just going to come through and, and get things corrected um, with people. I mean, it's just the day that I thought John Boehner would sit on a, a board, and granted, you know, people aren't really fond of the fact that he's on acreage and He's doing that, but we need people like that to come up. We need conversions. Well, we need diversity to help the industry grow for sure. I think the cannabis industry is, yes, it's filled with so much love, as you say. Um, and I think it's, I think a lot of people are attracted to it because it's community based. Like you feel a part of something. That's personally why I like sm smoking flour and not having an edible. It's like the sharing and partaking in it. Um, and so I think it, it attracts a lot of people that, are kind of spiritual in a sense or understand that part of it, whether they can recognize it or not. Like it's just something you feel, you feel you're a part of something when it, you're in that, that is strange. It's like, no matter where I'm at in a cannabis event, <clears throat> people are always handing, you know, it's, it, and it's right. not like, Hey, get high. It's like, Hey, you want some? It's like right. sharing, you know what I mean? And it's not, you don't see that in other, you don't, no one walks up and gives you a drink or a beer. I mean, you probably right. wouldn't take it if you did, but mm -hmm. there is like, I always have felt like there is a, there is something to, you know, the primal situation of sitting down and smoking a joint, rolling a joint, passing it around, doing bong hits. Just the whole, I mean, some people just sit and wake and bake all day. But but for the people that function, it's there's this weird interaction of like, hey, we're family almost. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I'm going to share mine with you and you're going to share yours with me. That's right. That's why, that's why it's so important that we retain that culture and that it doesn't become just fully this like matured consumer package gets industry. We have to fight to keep that culture. And that's why the diversity is so important. We have to keep it in mind now because we're at, you know, in California, ground zero. this is year two, right? So we're ground zero. Like we're just now born. Like we don't even know what this is going to be yet. And so as it, look how quickly it's growing, like within this two years, I'm, or, you know, or this, this year, look how much we see like consolidation within tech companies. We see a lot of brand consolidation last year. I think we had 800 distinct brands. Now we're at 600 in California. So within a one year period, we're seeing, you know, 200 less brands in market. So that's going to continue as the industry. How many matures. doors, how many dispensaries right now? Do you know that number offhand? In California that yeah. are licensed. Um, so the BCC has issued 654 licenses, I believe. And how many are open and active? Do you know? I mean, I think all I would assume all those are, those are I've the, heard numbers well, of under 500 
that are actually open and operational. There's a lot of people still holding licenses that they oh, want. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm transacted, sure that's the case. But even still... And then be, the unlicensed shops, holy well, moly, were what, yeah. 80%? I think it's reported in it's, California, 80% black market. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy down in LA. I mean, you can be mm-hmm. in a le- legal dispensary and right across the street is a trap house like selling. But look, when before when Prop 215 was around and they went to six, before it went to 64... We had like three, four times the amount of dispensaries we have right now. Yeah. Well, it's really unfortunate, actually, because this week, um, uh, AB1356, I think was the bill, or SB1356, didn't didn't pass. Right, the one-to-one or whatever? The the one-to-four. So in any city that had voted for Prop 64 they would give one license to every four liquor stores. And unfortunately, this bill didn't pass, and it's on a two-year waiting period. So, you know, when there's some of these cities with, like, one licensed shop in those cities, it's that's a huge problem when people are well, trying to get... Well, you're definitely stacking... It, it messes with the laws of economics because all of a sudden that person's the only outpost. Well, and it feels the black market because yes. then there are still going to be those the shops that are unlicensed... And ta- I mean, taxes, like the consumers, they don't, I don't think they often know if it's a licensed or unlicensed shop. And so, but they do know that they're going to pay 50% more when they're going to a licensed shop. So and some of those unlicensed shops still take people's money as if they're paying taxes and they just don't pay the taxes. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Oh, there's, I mean, what, uh, was it Temecula or Chula Vista that just closed a bunch? I think it was Temecula. They just went in and closed everything down just whoosh. In one fell swoop. And so, you know, think about how many liquor stores. I, You know, you don't really think about it. Count the ones that are around you. Like where I live, I have three liquor stores within a 10-minute radius to me. I have one cannabis dispensary. We live in a little mountain area, you know, so it's not a big deal. But like on Mission alone right here on, in Santa Cruz, we probably have four or five liquor stores. And then not even counting like the fact that it's sold in grocery stores and so everything else. I don't necessarily want – I still think – Cannabis deserves to be in its own. I don't want to ever see it so normalized like Canada's doing it, where it's like in pharmacies or where the way Florida's doing it, where it's like you just buy indica, sativa, or hybrid. I want to still see that. I don't want to say connoisseur, but that more diverse offering than just, oh yeah, you can get buy beer. You know what I mean? There's the beer wall. It's like I don't I ever want to get that. California will stay that way. I think it's our history here. It's like, I mean, California has such a deep cannabis history. And I think. If we look at like the craft brew industry, people care about like craft producers, especially now more than ever. So I think it will, can, I think that will be okay here. Let me ask you another question based on the data. Do you, I know we said we weren't going to talk about it. It's so dang interesting to talk about. <laughs> Categorically, like, do you see like people beginning, you know, you go into a dispensary and from flour to CBD, right? There's a lot of ground to cover. Mm-hmm. The average dispensary has a thousand product SKUs. But I mean, that's, that's, if I learned anything in business, it's like you find your niche and then you explode on it, right? Do you see people opening? I mean, it's already starting to happen with CBD only stores, right? We just had two stores open up in Wisconsin that we're going to be doing. But do you see like vape store only opening? Do you see people opening flower only totally. stores? Uh, well, uh, well, the, if maybe if it's a brand, so like Dosis just opened their shop on Abbott Kinney in Venice. Oh wow! So you know, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful shop. That's gonna be hundred percent Dosis. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, will it be just one category specific? I don't know. Maybe if 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 they build a brand around it, why not? It I think. I, mean, that's I think great. you see you see you know places like that specialize in certain alcohols, you know, or cigar right. shops like they're just cigars. Like I. I feel like those are some of the things that are going to come down the line that are going to impact the the amount of licenses that get distributed. How many do you think the state of California is going to eventually allow? I have no idea. And we don't it, – it's so hard keeping track of what's going on in California because we don't know, like, when the new next licensing round will open up. It, there's just so many, so many unknowns. So I have no idea. So what's coming up? what's coming up on the radar for you? What's the next big event? I did kind of try to tease it out of you, but I know you have. Aren't you doing a panel somewhere? Um, isn't our I'm buddy? Like, I'm always doing. Isn't our buddy panels. Jeremy on a panel? Oh 
yeah. So um, on June 27th, that's right. Yes, in San Francisco, right? right? Yeah. So um, we're so um, parents conference. It's put on by parents conference, and so it's called um, the Emerging Cannabis Trends Conference. And this is for attorneys and, and lawyers and insurance brokers and any more of the business side trying to understand what's happening in cannabis. So um, we're going to be presenting. I'm going to be presenting like 10 minute overview of what's happening in California in terms of categories and product brand consumer trends. And then we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the vape category. So we've got um, Luna Stower from Jetty Extracts going to be on there as well, kind of talking about what she's seeing in the market. Uh, Rico <laughs> from Canagather, who everyone knows, you got to have Rico on here. <laughs> um, and then Jeremy. And so we're yeah. just going to kind of dive deep into the vape market. So that'll be in San Francisco on June 27th. Where at? Um, that'll be at, I think, the Hyatt. Hotel or Hilton. Oh, the Hilton downtown? Yeah. Okay. I think so. And where could they find, do a quick shout out so they can find that because I'm going to get this out before then. Yeah. That's, um, so that one's called the parent parents conference, P E R R I N S. Um, and so, yeah, again, like that's mostly geared towards like lawyers and attorneys, people who are new into the industry and, and wanting to understand what's happening with cannabis. I'll include it in the blog when we post it up. I'll yeah, include that's, the, that's a link great. out to the blog and so people can come check it out. That's More where you so, and I, I met think, actually was through a, a panel. That is where we met. That's right. In San Francisco. That, in that cute little bar. What was that bar's name? That, Tupelo. 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 That yes. was a rad little spot. I thought that was a fun panel we did. That was my first panel in cannabis and probably one of the most fun. The lady that did Ease, what was her name? Rosa. Actually, she, she just called me. Um, she's working with... Rosa went over to uh, Eel River Eel Organics. Eel River Organics. Yeah. Yep. I had a talk with her and she's like, your name sounds so familiar. And I'm all, yours too. <laughs> and then we were like, I'm all, what have you done in this space? Because I haven't... I, this is all I've done, right? So she's like, oh, I used to work with Ease. I'm all... I remember now you said I paneled with you and I, so I was funny. a moderator. She literally just called me an hour ago. So w- What's she up to? I don't know. I didn't. We've been playing phone tag. I'm going to call oh, her wow. after this and <laughs> tell her about this. So what's um, what should people be looking for as we close this up? I'm going to ask for some shout outs and some uh, social media handles. But what should people be looking forward to in cannabis coming out in the next, let's say, two quarters? Like, what do you see happening? Can you even speak to that? Uh, well, the next two quarters, are it's all about policy and regulation. So I think from the dispensary cultivation manufacturing side, I mean, they're trying to get their annual permits right now and just be compliant. So it's all about compliance. Um, but um, whether you're on the consumer side or brand side or dispensary side and you're just curious about what's happening in the industry, um, I would advise anyone to check out Headset's website because we produce a lot of these reports for free. We do these really easy-to-read analysis on the industry. And it's like anyone could understand it. So we make data sound very interesting and fun and it is. Um, but so I'd advise anyone to, to check out our website and get access to like all these free reports. And then what's the next show that people can catch you at? I mean, I know MJ Biz is coming up in December, but that's quite some ways away. Are you doing the NCI show in San Jose? Um, I'm not because I'm going to be, um, climbing Kilimanjaro. Oh, look at you. I know. How did you not bring that up? <laughs> Can we spend a couple moments on that? Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm in training so first, right like now. first tell me where you're going to be next. Where's the next show you're going to be? Um, so you know? I'm going to be in L- the next show I'm going to be is in LA. I'm going to be doing a road show down there. And so there's several different like events that'll be at down there. So the UCBA policy summit, grass posts, and then just all around LA meeting with different people. And then the parents conference will be the week after that. And then I'm off to Kilimanjaro shortly after that. And then it's like a bu- wine and weed and a bunch of other events after T- that. Tell me a little bit about Kilimanjaro. What, what, what is that on your bucket list? I love you because you have so many bucket list things. <laughs> I know. And you're just like, shita, 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 just checking them <laughs> off as you go. I know. That's so crazy. <laughs> um, actually, this is a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity. So uh, I've been wanting to do Kilimanjaro for a couple of years now. I've had some friends who have done it. And, you know, it's obviously a great accomplishment in one's lifetime to be able to do this. And so I love pushing my boundaries and seeing what I'm made of. And so what, and I'm, I love hiking and I'm really into that doors. So, um, you know, I just thought it would, would be a great thing. So I mentioned it to my folks and, and my dad and I are going to be, he's doing it with me. Wow. And how so cool. we're doing an eight day trail and we're going to be summiting on his 65th birthday Sweet. and it's a full moon. So wow. it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and then my mom's meeting us out there and we're doing 
doing a safari after. And so it's like... Are you... Do you... How are you training for that? Uh, I'm training walking around San Francisco. Just the hills? <laughs> just, just... I live in Knob Hill, so... And I live right at the top of the hill, so it's like the perfect training ground. So you just walk up and down hills, I basically. walk every day, yeah. And how does cannabis play a role in your training? Um, so I used to consume and then work out. Uh, I, I do a lot of Bikram yoga. I'm really into that. But then um, there was one day that I didn't consume before working out, and I was like, oh, shit, like... I can be so much more like stronger and more focused. Like I'm not going to consume before doing that anymore. So, um, I consume it. Like I'll, I'll bring a joint with me and then I'll puff throughout the walk. But when I'm training, I'm just trying to be really focused on training. Do you use any CBDs or anything for recovery when you're feeling sore or what is your, I don't, what is your post? I don't really feel sore. I've, I, I'm a pretty healthy person. I've, yeah, no, I'm just, I, I don't need cannabis or CBD or anything. I don't need it. I enjoy it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So working. So you're a pretty proactive girl. You're on the ground all the time. All the time. All the time. You're constantly moving. Um, what is your What are your social media handles to follow? Um, uh, Instagram. I'm Jossy Bossy, J O C Y B O S S Y, um, and then on Facebook, Jocelyn Shalshaw, and LinkedIn. Um, just you know, my name. Find you on LinkedIn, yeah. and then what is headset? What's the easiest way to get all headset? And then headset. Yeah. So headset.io. Um, is our website or, uh, headsetio.com is our website. Um, and then Instagram is just headset.io. And if you, so if you want to learn data, you want to talk to somebody that really knows what's going on and you're going to a show and you happen to walk by a headset booth, make sure you stop in and say hi to Jocelyn. <laughs> the heart, one of the hardest working women in the business by far and away. I'm never blown. I'm always blown away by, or I should say never surprised when I see your Instagram and I'm like, damn, damn, damn. <laughs> like she's just bouncing around and that's a crazy, this is a crazy space you to be able to exist space. in for sure. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Danny. I really so appreciate fun. it. I'm glad we were able to make that happen and uh, have fun and be well. <laughs> thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the book your interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke, grab the mic and tell your story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to PodConnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.